This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good morning. Bless you. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. Seeing you through the fog and the haze here. I'm squinting a little bit. Well, bless you. Glad you came out this morning. Woo, uh, worship was good today. Just kind of clean your heart out and cry out to God, and that's a good thing. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up, we're, I don't know, several weeks into this little series, little mini-series called What's Next, just giving you some biblical uh, stuff as far as once we get born again, that's not the end. That's actually the beginning of the point. We got this week, and then I'm going to go on it on um, next week. Next week is going to be outstanding. It'll have to do with people. Woo, you don't want to miss it. And then on um, Sunday, October the 9th, I believe it is, we're going to start a new series on, on our blood, the bloodline. And, woo, it'll be rich, I promise you. Oh, my gosh, there's some stuff that uh, me and Shelly have been implementing in our own personal life, with our family, with uh, our marriage, just praying for each other. So you don't want to miss that. But today, we're on just talking about learning to wait on the Lord as a disciple of Christ, and it's very important. Go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Now, I'm going to tell you two scriptures where I'm going to go. I'm going to start in Hebrews 4, and then I'm going to go to the book of Habakkuk. And you say, I've never heard of him. He's in there. He's tucked in between Nahum and Zephaniah. So I'll go to Hebrews 4, Habakkuk chapter 2. Now, every one of us, when you get born again, God puts an internal compass within each one of our hearts. And really what that is, is he wants us to be led by the Spirit of God. Biblical reference of that is uh, Romans 8, 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Even better yet, Romans 8, 8, 16 says, The Spirit of God will bear witness with my spirit, okay? So God puts his compass on the inside of us. And one of the reasons he does that is because life is a never-ending cycle of decisions and choices. How many of you need to make some decisions right now? you got some big choices in your life. Probably every one of us. You know, it's okay to raise your hand. But what happens is those decisions and choices, they have the ability to direct my life and my destiny, whether good or bad. So it's very important that we get on God's page when it comes to this. Now, we begin in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us, believers... Therefore, come boldly to the throne room of grace. Now, the words that say, let us come therefore boldly, literally means to come without reservation. So, as a believer, I have the privilege to come boldly into the throne room of grace. I mean, I ought to go in boldness and say, man, Lord, I come as a son. And when it talks about the throne room of grace... And that's that's the courts of heaven. That's where God's at. And he goes on to say that we may obtain mercy. One of the best definitions I've ever found on mercy is mercy is not getting what we deserve. Woo, thank you, Lord Jesus. I don't get what I deserve. So let us obtain, or he says, let us find grace. Let, it, let us obtain mercy and find grace. To help in the time of need. Mercy is for my past. Grace is for my present and future. But it's interesting that he gives us the invitation. 
to come boldly to the throne room of grace, that in a time of help or a time of need, we can ask for help, for mercy and grace. Probably pertains to every one of us to this day. Now, there's been times in my life where I've said in my mouth, mercy, grace, where are you at? I need you today. I welcome you today. Now, with just saying that a little bit, let's go to the book of, of Habakkuk, chapter number four. Excuse me, chapter number two. Habakkuk, chapter number two. Now, as you're turning there, the book of Habakkuk is only three chapters. And this guy named Habakkuk, he was having some severe issues in his life, some problems. Page 1225 in my Bible. Probably won't help you a bit, but again, there you go. He's having problems in his life, but he doesn't deny he's having problems. And he doesn't take them lightly either. So what he does is he goes before God, and he asks God several questions. So we pick up here and watch some of this that takes place here. Habakkuk 2, verse 1, I will stand my watch, and I will set myself on the rampart. And watch, one translation says, to wait and to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer when I am corrected. Now, this is, this is big right here. He said, I, I, I got to find out what I'm going to answer when I get corrected. Now, every one of us in this room, we've been corrected at one time in our life. Whether you got corrected as a parent, how did you respond when your parents corrected you? Maybe at school you were corrected. You know why? I'm back in the old school, man. When I was in school, they still used the paddle. And I, I tell you, I had an eighth grade principal. He'd lift you right off the ground. He'd, he'd knock the dust out of your britches. And when he would correct you, you thought out of your mouth, I'm never coming back to see this guy. That's it, man. He made a believer out of me for about two or three days, and then he may be back in there. How do you respond when God corrects you? And God will correct you. He'll correct you through the Word of God. The Spirit of God, it says in John 16, He came to convict the world of sin. Convince me that I'm a sinner, so He'll correct me in those areas. But again, right here, here's this man who's gone to God and he's petitioned Him, and then he realized, God's going to correct me. Verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, and i got to highlight that, that he answered me and he said, the reason the Lord answered him and said to him is because he took the time to go before Father God. See, many times people never have an answer for God because they never take the time to go before Father God. And so he says right here, and the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision or the dream and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it, that he may carry it, that that very dream that he has in his heart will never leave him, that he'll keep going down the road to find that dream, to obtain that dream. And that's many of us in this room. You've had dreams, you've had visions, you've had certain things. Don't ever let go of those, okay? Hang on to them. Why? Verse 3, for the vision or the dream is yet for an appointed time. You know what that word appointed means? For a future time 
or the right time. Better yet, the God time. Have you noticed that God operates on a clock that's not the same as ours? Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you'll reap. Man, I just got to keep on. He goes on to say, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. It will come to pass. Though it tarries, though it seems slow in coming, wait for it. Hang on to it. Now, if this passage right here warned Habakkuk that he said, there's a dream, there's stuff I have for you, and it'll come to pass, but you've got to wait for it. Now, the next question arises, if I'm going to have to wait for it, how do I wait? Do I wait mad, upset, hurry up, got to hurry up? Or man, I just begin to trust God. Wait on Him. Keep reading. Because it will surely come. It will come just at the right time. It will not tarry or it will not delay. Now this was a promise that he said to Habakkuk in a time where he was facing problems and difficulties. He said, Lord, I need some direction. Verse 4, same chapter. Behold the proud. Now when you study the Bible, it's very clear there's two types of people. There's the prideful, and there's the humble. And me and you, we're going to fit into one of those. Actually, to dig into that a little bit deeper, the only time in the Bible you'll find that God resists a human being is when he's prideful. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So he says here, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. His soul is not right in him. It's not right at all. He looks to himself instead of to God. And he ends this says, But the just shall live. The just shall be preserved. The just will flourish, enjoy life and happiness by his faith. Now what he's getting over here to, the one who tempts to find life through, him, through his own self, he's going to be unstable in nature and ultimately he's going to fall. But the one who relies and trusts on God, his life is going to be blessed. So right here, this, this prophet named Habakkuk, he real, realizes, i got to live by faith. The just got to live by faith. So when we see the just shall live by faith, the faith that helps us out is the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When you find the Word of God, you make a choice within you, am I going to live by that? Am I going to believe that? And so this is what he's telling Habakkuk, saying, listen, you're going to have to live by faith. Turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Not Hebrews, I'm sorry. Proverbs chapter 3. Back to your left. Proverbs 3. Now, as you're going, I'm going to fill in the blanks here with some of the stuff we've already said. Hurry is the pace of the 21st century. How many of you have ever found that out? Right now. It actually has become a disease. Hurry, 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 hurry. Now, whether it's yourself or other people that you're around, that we always rush and hurry, 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 the fruit that usually goes with that is they're short-tempered. They're impatient. 
They got a lot of anxiety. Does that define you today? You know what I found out about people that live with rush, hurry, hurry, hurry? Many times they are very miserable people, and miserable people want everybody else to be miserable. The key to this is I've got to learn to get into God's rhythm. The pace of God. And that means that I can't jump the gun. That there's times in my life I just got to slow down. I got to slow down. Do you know in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it lists the, the uh, nine gifts of the, or the nine fruit of the Spirit? The fourth one, it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You know what long-suffering is? Patience. I need to overdose on patience. And I need patience. I'm, I'm always as Lord, slow me down here. Lord, slow me down. Slow me down. And it's okay to pray. I said, Lord, I need the fruit of patience in my life. Now, watch some of the stuff that is said here in, in Proverbs 3. We begin in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. From the bottom of your heart. Trust in the Lord in every season of your life. Trust in the Lord in everything you're doing in life. Keep reading. And lean not on to your own understanding. In other words, lean on Father God. Lean on godly counsel. But it's a mistake if I only lean on myself. Because in my humanity, I'm going to fall short. Now he's given us a warning. Lean not on to your own understanding. And in all your ways. Now the word ways there. It means like a road, a path. And it literally says, in all your ways, and the word ways means every day of your life. So the ways of God is not just a Sunday thing. I I get up tomorrow on Monday, Tuesday, and say, Lord, I'm going to follow your ways. And he says right here, in all your ways, acknowledge him. It means observation. It means investigation, reflection. This verse refers to a life-given intimacy that is the same as in a marriage covenant. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Now, what happens in a marriage covenant? The only way you get to know each other in that intimate way is you do life together. How do I do life together? You begin to fellowship and you begin to communicate. This is what this is talking about. So again, he said, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, have a romance with the Lord. And he shall direct, he shall make straight and right your paths. Now what a promise. What a promise right here from God. God will keep you on track. Two things we got to understand about this. Number one, my part is to acknowledge God. I come before him and say, Father God, I need your help today. God's part is to direct your paths. But how many times as human beings do we get those backwards? We tell God, God, you really need to acknowledge us, and then we're going to direct and tell you what we're going to do. But how many of you have ever found out it doesn't work that way? Thank God God's an all-knowing and God's a good God right here. And so right here, God will keep us on track. 
but I must acknowledge him and then I must let God be God. And so everything that's said in, in Hebrews 3, 5, and 6, I like it to reference as this. Wait for the nod of God. Slow down enough in life where that you hear that God's involved in this. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Whoever believes will not act hastily. One translation says, He will not have a sudden panic. So it gives me some insight here. Now, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel 13. Let me give you an illustration of how some things have worked before. And I want you to understand, there's been numerous times in my life I've jumped the gun on God. And it's not good when you get out in front of God. But there's been times that the Lord has really taught us patience and how to wait on him. And so years back, I was needing a job. And we were believing God for a job. And there was an opportunity for this one position. There was over 300 people that applied for that one position. They kept weeding it out. And before long, I was down to the final five. I'm a believer at this time in my life. So, man, I'm believing God. I said, thank you, Lord. This, this job would be a blessing to me. I really, 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 really need it. They bring it down to two. I'm in the final cut. So they bring us both in. And, man, I know. Woohoo! They're getting ready to say, you got it. And the guy looks at me and he gives it to the other guy. Where's mercy and grace at? Where are we at here, Father God? What, what are you doing? This, this can't be. And so... I mean, when I walked in the house, I didn't have to say nothing. I know my body language revealed you didn't get it. And I remember Shelly looked at me and she said, God's got something better. Well, thank God you got a wife that'll say stuff like that to you. God's got better. And I looked and I thought, I needed this now. You know, I was down and out. And so she said, he's got something better. He's got something better. He's got something better. And so after a day of moping, I began to get a hold of it. And I said, Father God, I know you got something better. I'm a child of yours. You order my steps. I acknowledge you as Jehovah today. Fifteen days later, the same guy who told me I didn't get the job, he calms me back in. And he brings me in and he sets me down and he said, let me tell you what's going on. Our company is fixing to split. 99% of all of them were going to stay here, but you have an opportunity to go to a new company. And he said, you will be the only one that goes there. I didn't realize what was going on, but God was directing my paths. It was by far the better job and the better company. And many times we jump the gun. We get mad like, "Ah, God, where you at? Where you at? Remember, our job is to acknowledge him. His job is to direct us. So right now, slow down. Slow down. And you may say, Pastor, I don't have time to slow down. You better learn to slow down. Hang in there. Now, in this passage here in 1 Samuel 13, the king at this time is a king named King Saul. King Saul is in his first year of reign. And so he gets him an army of 3,000 men, And his son, his name is Jonathan, and he sends him out. And man, Jonathan's going out, and he is plundering the Philistines. They are enjoying kicking the Philistines. They're really having fun doing this. So we pick up 1 Samuel 13, verse 4. Now all Israel heard it and said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. Now, 
When it says that Israel's become an abomination to the Philistines, you know what this means? The Israelites had ticked them off. I was getting ready to say something else. P.O. personally offended them. They got mad. They're mad. Now understand this, guys. Sometimes when you have victory in the kingdom of God, don't put your guard down. There's an adversary, your opponent, the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, who walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, okay? He's always looking for an opportunity to pounce. So they come off this great victory. But now the Philistines aren't happy about it. The end of verse 3, and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, people as the sand, which is on the seashore in the multitude. Now, when you begin to look at what the Philistines had, it's pretty intimidating. And guess what? They got revenge on their mind. And this guy named King Saul goes, oh, no, this isn't good. This is bad. The end of verse 5. And so they encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth of Enon. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. You know what they did? They pulled the covers up over their head. They didn't seek God. They didn't acknowledge God. Now, think about this. When life gets really tough at times, what do I do? Do I pull the sheets up over my head? Or to begin to call out to God. And so this is what they did. They begin to run. Verse 7. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. Okay. We're really filling the blanks now. Who's Samuel? Samuel was the prophet of God then. Samuel had spoken to Saul. And he had said to him, he said, listen, buddy. The war is coming. They're coming after you, okay? Here's what you got to do. Here's the game plan from God. You wait for me seven days. And in seven days, I'm going to come to the temple. And we're going to offer sacrifices to God. And God's going to come through. Okay? This is what's going on. Keep reading here with me in verse 8. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. So you know what this tells me? Didn't happen on old Saul's timetable. Samuel didn't show up when he had said, so watch what happens here. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. You know what he does? He jumps the gun. He does what God had told Samuel to do. Literally, he blows off the commandment that God had spoken through Samuel to him. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you ever blown off of a commandment of God? Acted like it wasn't a real big deal. I can do whatever I want. It's not that big of a deal. Now, I used this analogy in the first service. Let me, let me just tell you this, and I believe this will help you. When he blows this off, I, I've done stuff like this. Even a commandment of God, I act like, it's not a big deal. It's not that big of a thing. I, I, I like to run periodically and get, get some cardio still. And one day I'm running, and as I get going, every step on my right foot, I, I feel this rock in my shoe. I can feel it. And if you ever run like that, it, it, it felt like a boulder's in there. I mean, every time I could feel it well, it defies everything against me to stop and take my shoe off and dump it out. 
So I run the whole few miles I run, and I get home, and I'm thinking, golly, that thing was huge in there. And so I take my shoe, and I dump it out. It's a little, little, little bitty pebble. I could hardly see it. And I thought, that little thing called all that pain? My point is this. We can't blow off the things of God even when, they, when we think they're little bitty. They're big in the kingdom of God and they cause huge problems. This is what happens here. So watch this, verse 10. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offerings that Samuel showed or came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And he doesn't say this as a question, but he says it as a shock. He looks at him like, dude, what have you done? Watch this. And Saul said, when I saw the people, when I saw the people. Now again, the Bible's very clear that the just shall live by faith. So if I'm going to live by faith as a disciple of Christ, I can't live by what I see or what I feel. I got to live by the word of God. I got to trust the word of God. And so it says specifically, when I saw, when I saw that the people were scattered from me, so look who he's looking at. He's looking at other people here. He's looking at people's opinion. When I saw the people, da-da-da-da-da, what he's saying here, they were scattered and you did not come within the days appointed. This is human nature right here. It's very easy to be distracted or make decisions based on uh, uh, a people's opinion. Well, I don't want them to think wrong of me. But you would go ahead and please people over Father God. Now here's the next thing we do. When we mess up in life, do you hear what he did? He said, the people this and this and this, and it's because you didn't show up. Remember Adam and Eve in, Acts, uh, in Genesis 3? God said to Adam, he said, why'd you do it? And he said, it's that woman you gave me. It's that woman that you gave me. And see, even right here, he says, it's the people and you, if you would have just shown up. Now, he makes two huge mistakes here. Number one, he disobeys God. And number two, when he's confronted about it, instead of repenting, he begins to articulate all the reasons why he didn't do it. And human logic and human reasoning never override the Word of God. Ever. That's where I get in trouble as a human being. See, the difference between King Saul and King David is King Saul wouldn't repent and King David would. And so again, if you've blown it and we've all blown it, you know what I say at times? Lord, I blow it. I'm going to repent for what I did. Take ownership. Nothing stands in the way of repentance. So he begins to get his excuse out. And he goes on to say, Then I said, then I thought, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. I have not made the supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and I offered a burnt offering. But what did God say to do? Verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. Now I want you to pay really, really close attention to this. This is the one 
that really grabbed my attention. He describes what foolishly is. Listen real close. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. How many of you ever acted foolishly? I have. I've disobeyed the commandments of God. So understand this. Anytime I do and I can, I become foolish in the sight that I go ahead and I jump the gun. And instead of acknowledging God and allowing God to be God, I take the place of God. And when I take the place of God, it's from a prideful or an arrogant heart. End of verse 13. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. This one seemingly small choice of breaking this command changed his direction and his destiny forever. So don't think it's just a little thing. And if you do blow it, be man or woman enough to step up to the plate and say, Man, Father God, I, I blew it. I blew. One of the greatest things we can have as human beings is a heart that repents. Not just to confess my sin, but it be uh, 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 shameful on my behalf. So, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't like doing that. But he never did do it. Keep reading, verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over you, his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Wow. So again, we can go back and we can look at this. If he just obeyed. If he would have just waited. If he wouldn't have jumped the gun. If he wouldn't have put everything in his own hands. This would have never happened. So we can literally see. He acted in a hasty way, which Isaiah 28 said, you don't want to do that. You don't want to get over and to do that. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 30. I've got two more passages I really want you to see here this morning. You know, any time in your life that you're trying to make decisions and you feel pressure, you feel tension, you feel unrest, it's a sure sign that it's shouting at you. And you know what it's saying? Slow down. Hold up. Wait on the Lord. If it's God, it's going to be a smooth transaction. It's going to go through your look and say, wow. It's just like the peace of God. Just the peace of God. Let me tell you this. I told this story in the first service. Uh, we, we were young. We had been married several years. We had lived in... Um, trailer houses, we had lived in apartments, condos, we had rented houses, and we decided, man, we wanted to buy a house. And so I went to a man who was very wise with money, and I said, man, we're, we're deciding that we want to see if we can buy a house. And he said, let me see your finances. And he looked at me, and he goes, dude, you're not ready to buy a house. He said, you buy that house, it's going to put you in a world of hurt. Who are you allowing to counsel you, okay? So I heeded what he said. About a year later, some things began to change in her life. Shelly had gotten out of school. She was beginning to work. We were having more money. So he looked and said, go, man, buy your house. So we began to look for a house. So I found a house. Let me give you the address. 1524 Hickory was the house. Right up here in the kidneys. 
I'm just kidding, okay? Some of you, some of you need to wake up. So we make an offer. We're believing God for a house. We make an offer on the house. The realtor comes back two days later and says, bad news, you didn't get it. They sold it to someone else. Something, what's up, God? Well, you know what we did? We backed up. We said, God's got a plan. We're just going to wait on the Lord. We're just going to seek God. Watch what God happens. Five weeks later, the realtor comes back and says, you know those people that bought that house? I said, yeah, he, 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 or she said, they couldn't qualify. That owner wants to know if you want to make a new offer. And I said, yeah, I want to make a new offer. Oh, yeah, there's some Jewish blood within me. Swanstein. So I went back and I made an offer that was a lot lower. And they accepted it. In a six-week span, I saw God begin to move, not only in that area, but the interest rates, many of you remember when interest rates were 12, 13, 14, 15, 16%. They dropped three points in six weeks, I believe it was. And so the Lord, man, he saved me money, money. And you know what I thought? And the Lord made me look awfully smart here. And so it just comes back to every area of your life. You learn to say, you know what? I'm going to wait on the Lord in this area. Now, pay close attention and, and mark these scriptures. This is Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. How many times have you thought the Lord wants you to wait so he can be gracious, gracious to you? And he says, and therefore he will be exalted and he may have mercy on you for the Lord is a God of justice. Mark this in your Bible. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Can I give you a definition of what the word blessed means? Happy, fortunate, and to be envied are all those who wait for him. Now, whatever you're going through right here in your life right now, begin to say, Lord, I want the nod of God. One more. Turn just a few pages to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40. And this is, a, this is one that I encourage you to get in your heart, to speak it, to live it. Isaiah 40 verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord... Woohoo! He's given me some spiritual insight and guidance right here. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll get a fresh strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll get closer to God in their waiting. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint or get tired. Now, I believe that God wants to do that for every one of us right here. But the whole key to that verse is the very first sentence. Those who wait on the Lord. If I don't wait on the Lord, then I lose the promise of the strength. If I don't wait on the Lord, I don't have the mounting up of wings of eagles. I run, but I'm going to get wore out. I walk and I need CPR after I walk. But if I wait on the Lord, so every one of us in this room, we have decisions of life that we got to make on an everyday basis. And when you're getting ready to make a decision in your life and you have a check in your heart, and what I mean by a check in your heart, it just doesn't seem to be fitting. Quit trying to force it to fit. Have you ever tried to put a puzzle together lately and you look and there's one piece and you say, you know what? I know it doesn't go there, but I'm going to make it fit. 
doesn't happen or yeah, you break the whole board and then here we go. See, I got to slow down long enough. Heed the warning. And again, I quoted this earlier today, but there's two types of people, even in the spirit realm, the kingdom. People of the flesh and people of the spirit. People of the flesh, they run ahead of God. They get ahead of God. People of the Spirit, they wait on the Lord and they say, I'm not moving until God gives me his knot. I've been on both sides of that coin. In my life right now, I would rather be late than early because at least I know when I'm late, God's on my side. When I'm early, a lot of times I'm out there on my own and it becomes my idea. And so what happens is people of the flesh, they run ahead. They run ahead. They're trying to outrun God. And if you're trying to force things to happen in your life, it's almost a sure sign that you're racing ahead. Trying to force it. Remember trying to get medicine down my kids. Hold them down. See, that's what happens when we force it. So just a a simpler way to help you with this. This is kind of how God does with me. And it becomes very simple. Anytime you're driving your car when you have a green light, what does that green light mean? It means go. But when it's a red light, it means stop. Well, when we deal with the things of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit, that the Spirit of God leads us and guides us, if it's a green light, there'll be a peace within you. There'll be a knowing within you. Yeah, you're still going to have to take that step of faith. But when it's a red light, it's almost like you get an inward yuck like, Something's not right here. That's the nod of God. That's the compass within us. For years of my life, I'd ask people, how do I know that's God? And they say, well, do you get a peace? Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your heart like an umpire. So I begin to say, Lord, we welcome your peace. Now, I wish I did this all the time, guys, but more and more, the older I get, we don't move. And I talk to me and Shelly. Until we get the nod of God. We will begin to pray and we'll begin to pray and we'll begin to pray. Years back, before I ever came to Lubbock to pastor here, the church was in operation. And we were commuting back and forth for years and years and years. And there were people who were saying, you got to move to Lubbock now, now, now. And I wouldn't have the peace of God. I wouldn't have the nod of God. And I knew I don't want to get out in front of God. I'm going to wait till I know I have peace. And you know when we got the peace from God in this situation? My home in Clovis had been on the market for four months. We hadn't had anybody looking at it. And in a two-day period, our house in Clovis sold and we bought a house here. That's the nod of God. Only God can do that. And again, when stuff like that happens, you look and think, dang, God makes me look good. Looks like a genius. Looks like he's got it all together. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.